0: Welcome to the study of the Book of Revelation taught by Michael Fitzgerald, Senior Pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. This is certainly one of the most intriguing books of the Bible as we think about our future and as we see God laying out the prophecy of our future. We see that in Daniel in the Old Testament. We see this here in uh, Revelation. But remember with chapter 1, verse 3, that this is the one book of the Bible that promises us that simply by reading And coming to terms with the Word of God in the book of Revelation, simply reading it is a blessing from God to us. So what we're doing tonight is already inviting the blessing of God upon us as a church and you and me as individuals as we open this great, great book of the Bible. Very briefly, let me remind you that this book was written by the Apostle John, who is the same man, the Apostle of the Lord, who wrote the Gospel of John. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in your New Testament. And of course, after John had served directly under Jesus' earthly ministry, as he saw Jesus not only ministering to the multitudes, but also going to the cross to pay the price for his sin and for our sin, during that time that Jesus was on the cross, if you remember, Jesus even entrusted the care of his mother to the apostle John. And John took Mary home with him that very hour. So we know that John and Jesus had an absolute wonderful relationship. Uh, And after Jesus' death on the cross and after his resurrection from the grave and his ascension to heaven, we know that the Apostle John, who was the most long lived of all the disciples, continued to preach in the Roman Empire about the love and the salvation of his Lord and his Savior, Jesus Christ. And Eventually, because he was a preacher of the gospel, he was arrested and he was sentenced to prison on the island of Patmos, which was the Alcatraz of his day. It was a, an island that was by itself in the Aegean Sea. Most of the prisoners who went to Patmos never left the island again. and That was his sentence. He thought it would be a lifelong sentence. One Sunday, On the island of Patmos, the Lord God Almighty lifted John up to the throne room of heaven. And there he saw a vision of the mighty, risen, judging Savior, Jesus Christ. He was so overwhelmed at this sight of his Lord that he fell to his feet in reverence and fear. And of course, as you remember from prior studies, the one thing that became very familiar to John was when Jesus, the mighty saving Lord, in this awesome picture that John sees, the familiarity comes when Jesus lays his hand on his apostle John. And that touch was very familiar to John because he had touched Jesus many times over the course of their years that they spent together. But Jesus, as he lays his hand on John, gives him three phases of an assignment uh, that he is to write down. And I remind you of this again. We go through it every time, but I want you to be sure that this is in your mind. The outline of the gospel, or rather the book of the Revelation, uh, is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. He is to first of all write down his vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have studied that. We're in the midst of studying the second point of this outline, which is to write a personal letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And of course, as we have studied prior uh, times before, you remember that not only are these individual letters for individual churches of that day, but the situations and the commendations and the condemnations that are addressed to these seven churches apply to the church today. It has throughout history and even in our modern situation, these seven letters speak to our ministry and to our church and to what we are to be doing in the kingdom of God. So that's the second point, the letters to the seven churches. The third point of the outline then is that John is to write down the prophecy of our future as God reveals it to him. Now, we have studied the awesome picture of the risen Savior. We have studied two letters to this point. We have studied the letter to Ephesus, and we have studied the letter to Smyrna. Ephesus was told in that major condemnation statement that Jesus makes about them, while there are some positive points to their ministry, the one negative thing that Jesus says to Ephesus as you have left Your first love. Your ministry has become routine. Your ministry has become somewhat tradition and out of habit. And you're not serving because there is a passion for me. You've left that first love of serving your Savior. And that passion has died down to embers. You're still serving. You're still doing well. But you're not serving out of that white hot passion that you had for me at one time. You have left that love. And you need to return to that. In fact, if you remember, Jesus tells the church at Ephesus, you are to repent, which means by association, that is sin. When you serve the Lord out of routine or out of habit, that's sin. So the Lord says, repent of that sin and come back to me as your first love. And then the second church that we studied has been the church of Smyrna. That was the church under persecution. There are no negative words towards Smyrna Uh, In this letter that we see in Revelation chapter 2, but rather Jesus tells them to continue to stand firm, even though every day that the members of Smyrna get up, that day could be their last earthly day simply because they lived in faith for Jesus Christ. What would we do if you and I faced that same challenge every day? That today may be our last day simply because we're going to stand for our Savior when we walk out of the door of our home. That's what Smyrna faced. They were the church under persecution. Now tonight, we're going to look at the letter to the church that in the King James Version, the New King James Version, the Living Bible is called Pergamos. But uh, the New International Version, uh, today's English Version, Revised Standard Version, uh, New English Bible calls it Pergamum, but it is the same city and it's the same church being addressed uh, whatever name your Bible may use depending on translation. Let me tell you a little bit about Pergamos before we open the letter that we find in the book of the Revelation. This was a city that was built on a thousand foot hill. It was about 20 miles in, inland uh, of the Aegean Sea. So that means that Patmos That island that was a prison island was somewhat close to Pergamos, just 20 miles inland of the Aegean Sea. Pergamos actually means, and this is on your sheet, Pergamos, the word means citadel, C-I-T-A-D-E-L, a fortified city. And it had served as the capital city of Asia Minor for 250 years at this point. Parchment was a writing material that was developed from animal skins, and that was a major manufacturer of the ancient world, resided in Pergamos as, uh, uh, as parchment came from the city and went all over the inhabited world. And there was a good reason that parchment was made in Pergamos. The greatest library in the ancient world And in the pagan world was located there, over 200,000 volumes in this library in Pergamos. Now, the city was also the center for many pagan cults. For example, the temple of Athena was there, the Greek goddess of sexuality and fertility. The temple of Dionysius was there. Dionysius was the god of wine and drunkenness. And I know you've seen a picture of the god Dionysius. That's the half-man, half-goat or half-horse look. Uh, that was Dionysius. Uh, the temple of Asclepius was also in the city of Pergamos. Now, this was actually a hospital. The temple of Asclepius was a, a hospital, but it mingled satanic practices With healing practices. For example, one prescription called for the sick person to sleep on the floor of the temple overnight and snakes were to crawl all over the body to infuse their healing power. I think that would hasten my death if I were the one sleeping on the floor of the temple with snakes on me. By the way, the medical symbol that shows a snake on a staff comes from Asclepius. Uh, Now, the temple of Caesar is also there. This was the worship of a human being as a god. And then also the temple of Zeus was in Pergamos. This is a very important temple. Don't miss this because according to historians, this was actually cited as Satan's earthly headquarters. So the temple of Zeus in Pergamos was cited as Satan's headquarters on earth. So this little church of Pergamos literally was surrounded by Satan and satanic practice. Everywhere they turned, this church saw immorality and drunkenness and New Age practices and worship of human beings and open doorways for Satan to run unbridled through this city. It is an understatement to say that Pergamos was on a mission field. They had a mighty ministry ahead of them to reach out with Jesus Christ in a city that was so far away from the Lord. So, tonight, let's look at the letter itself, Church at Pergamos. It is Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Hear then these words of Jesus to this church in a very, very wicked setting. To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you, Where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it." May God add His blessing to the reading of the portion of this Word of God, the letter to the church at Pergamos. Now, Jesus gives this church, surrounded by Satan and satanic practices, three commendations, three positive points. Number one is in verse 13, where the Lord says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. So the Lord is commending these Christians that they are ministering actively in a a city that is so directly identified with Satan and Satan's headquarters there. However, Jesus also reminds this band of Christians that while they might feel surrounded and overpowered by Satan and dogged by his presence in the city, they were serving the mighty Lord who holds, who wields the sword of judgment, as we see that in verse 12. And Satan is indeed going to get his due in God's good timing. So as we read the end of this book, we know that God wins. Amen? He's the winner. However, in the day-by-day battle, the Christians of Pergamos are entering into a city that is saturated by Satan and satanic practice. And it's a very, very hard ministry, but the Lord is commending them that they are staying strong in that ministry even though they're surrounded by Satan. The second word of commendation that they receive, verse 13, Thou holdest fast my name. These people are staring Satan in the face but they are not renouncing, they are not compromising the name of Jesus. And the third commendation, Thou hast not denied my faith even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. That is also chapter 2, verse 13. Now some historians have said that Antipas was a pastor of the church in Pergamos. Pergamos. And before the eyes of the church members of that church, he was burned to death inside of a pagan brass bull. He was cast into that bull that was heated uh, to searing hot, and he lost his life, cast into that satanic uh, method of worship. And it was all because of his faith. It was all because he was serving the Lord, working in that church, and perhaps serving as its pastor. And yet, the church did not fold. It did not close its doors because they lost their pastor. I want you to think of it this way, and this has happened in our world within the last few years. If a gunman walked in that door tonight and strode right up to this pulpit, and it has happened in recent days, and that gunman took my life in this pulpit, would you meet Sunday morning? Absolutely, you will meet. If that happens tonight, let that be my last word. Meet this Sunday morning. Don't let that close the doors of the church. That did not happen in Pergamos. It must not happen here. We are still to be a church even if persecution enters among us. I pray that is always our mindset. I want you to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. You might want to write down uh, this reference and include it within this study. Remember Jesus said, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So don't fear the murderer. The murderer can only take your life, your physical life, but cannot take your soul. But we are to fear and respect the one who has command over body and soul. We are to come before him as pure and faithful. Now, you'll notice in verse 13 is the word martyr. The Greek word martyr, which is martus, simply means witness. When we look at the Greek language, that's the simple meaning of the word martyr, martus. It means witness. However, in this day and in this age, so many faithful members of the church were being killed that martyr was associated with the death of God's servants. And so that's why that word still stands for those who die in service to the Lord. So the Lord commends this church at Pergamos for remaining faithful in a ministry that is within the city of Satan, Satan's headquarters in Pergamos. But Jesus then says, I have two things that are against you, two words of condemnation. Here is the first word of condemnation. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. If you remember back to your Old Testament, to the book of Numbers, chapters 22 through 24, there is the story of Balaam. Now, of course, the most thing about Balaam is that he had an animal to speak to him. His very donkey addressed him. Balak, here's the story, here's how it relates to the scripture. Balak, who was the king of the Moabites, contacted the Israelite whose name was Balaam and made a request of him. Balak, the Moabite, said to Balaam, the Israelite, I will pay you great riches if you will tell me how to curse God's people. Now, of course, that's Balaam, his own people. The Moabite king saying, you develop a way for me to curse your people, to corrupt your people. So Balaam devised a plot to have Moabite women seduce the Israelite men into marriage, thus bringing them into idol worship and paganism. So what Jesus is saying to the church at Pergamos is that some of the Christians in that church, in that city... We're inviting heathen practices to dilute the ministry of their church, to dilute the theology of their church. Rather than this church of Pergamos making a difference in the sinful world, the sinful world was beginning to make a difference in them. You see the difference? Rather than taking the gospel into the world to change the world, the world was beginning to change them and not for the good. They were beginning to eat meat that was sacrificed to pagan idols. That was against God's law. They were practicing immorality. Friends, that is one of the sins that is absolutely, I believe, on God's hate list. Immorality is one of those sins that God absolutely cannot tolerate. And we live in a land that more and more every day is acquiescing to different sexual expression outside of God's law and God's word. And if you're a student of watching the church of our nation, you know that the church of our nation in general, so many branches of the church are beginning to accept immorality in the ranks of the church, accepting immorality in the ranks of the clergy of the church. God hates Immorality, and we see it expressed over and over in his word. Satan's greatest attack for the church is sneaking in little compromises along the way that begin to paralyze us with sin. So that means, brothers and sisters, that we as the church, not just the pastors, not just the deacons, not just the teachers, but we as the church body have to guard in staying close to our Lord in His Word. We have to stay close to our Lord in prayer so that we can live in this world, but not invite this world to live in us. Amen? We are to live in the world but not allow the world to live in us. Now, here's the second condemnation. Some of these Christians are beginning to hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, if you remember, that should be familiar to you because that was also addressed in the first letter, the letter to Ephesus. Look at verse 15. The Lord Jesus says to Pergamos, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, notice the wording, verse 15. So hast thou also them. That means that these people are part of this church. They're not outsiders coming in. They're church members. They're people who are working within the ministry of the church. The second condemnation then is these Christians are beginning to hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and the Nicolaitans believed that you have to experience sin in order to appreciate forgiveness. You have to expose yourself to the depths of sin, and this especially deals with sexual sin. You have to expose yourself to all sorts of sexual sin so you can appreciate God's forgiveness. That doctrine, then, of the Nicolaitans encourages sexual sin and immorality. And Jesus says, I hate it. You can ask Mike Bell this question, but I think you know the answer already. You don't have to swim in a septic tank to know that it stinks. You don't have to engage in sin to know that it's wrong. So this doctrine of the Nicolaitans is a doctrine that Jesus absolutely detests, hates, because it was leading his people into sexual sin. So Jesus says, get the compromise out of your church in Pergamos. You cannot straddle the fence and live in forgiveness and also invite sin into your church. You repent of it all. And you come back to me fully, fully return to the Word of God as your authority and fully return your lives given to Jesus Christ in witness, in morality, and in love. Now look at the first part of verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Now I know that word strikes accord with you. You remember that word of manna. Jesus Christ is indeed our bread of life. You remember that God fed the Israelites uh, manna. We see that in Exodus chapter 16 verse 4. Uh, During their Exodus journey, the Lord fed them manna that fell from heaven every day. There was one day that was skipped the Sabbath day. Manna did not fall, but the day before the Sabbath they they gathered a double portion But if you also remember on the normal day, manna only lasted for that day and a new batch was given the next day. But the people had to live in faith and trust that they could eat the entirety of the manna for a day because the next day God was going to be faithful to his promise. So manna was called bread of heaven. Now Jesus Christ we know, is our manna, our bread of heaven who nourishes us, who sustains us unto eternal life. I want you to notice that Jesus calls himself hidden manna. Hidden from whom? Hidden from the unsaved world. Write down this uh, reference. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Here are the words that Paul writes to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 4. But if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So, hidden manna, it is hidden from the unsaved world. That's why our witness is important. That's why it is important for us to send missionaries into the world. We are headed to Richmond tomorrow to witness the commissioning of missionaries. We continue to send them into the world because that manna is hidden from so many thousands and millions of people around the world, and they must know about the bread of heaven. You and I are commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to take the bread of heaven to the unsaved. Whether they be outside of these doors, our next door neighbor, someone who lives in our home, someone within our family, someone with whom we work, or someone who is halfway around the world. We are to share the manna. You know, there was uh, someone who said years ago, I remember this well, that a witnessing Christian is like a, a starving beggar who has found food. And that beggar then goes out and tells all the other starving beggars where the food is. We have the bread of heaven and we feed on the bread of heaven, the manna of Jesus Christ. And our call from him is to let others who are starving know where the bread is. That is our call. That is our commission. We don't just send missionaries to do that, but rather we engage in doing that ourselves. We are that beggar being fed by the bread and we want others to know it as well. Now, notice also the last part of verse 17. And Jesus says, I will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. When an athlete in the Olympian games won, he was often given a white stone as part of his prize for being the winner of the race uh, or the competition in which he was part. And this stone was his pass to the winner's celebration. The people who carried the white stones were the ones who were recognized in the celebration as the winners. This white stone in Revelation is a picture of our invitation to the celebration of heaven. Now, here's something that's really interesting about Jesus' statement to the church at Pergamos that does indeed uh, apply to you and me. According to Revelation 2:17, it says that every stone delivered to you and me as individuals will have a highly personal message engraved on it just for the bearer of the stone. Jesus calls it here a new name, but it's a personal message for you and for me. And my message is going to be different from yours and yours from everybody else's of the saved population of heaven. Isn't that an interesting thing? But we will receive that stone with the highly personal message on it as an invitation to the celebration of heaven. So that's the letter to Pergamos. What do we learn? What do we glean from the letter? Well, quite a bit, certainly. Two constructive things that I do want to point out to you tonight. First of all, Satan surrounded the church at Pergamos. Is that true of the church today? Yes. It is still true. In fact, I was talking with a brother today who said, one of the things about my life and my witness and my faith is I can can feel when Satan is attacking me. And I believe that's true when you and I strive to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to feel Satan's attacks. Do I hear an amen to that? I believe that you will feel the roadblocks at times. You will feel the effects sometimes. You will feel the emotional down sometimes because Satan is indeed on attack for the child of God who is making progress in the kingdom of God. You can expect it, but believe me, that's a backhanded uh, compliment really. If Satan is fooling with you, you must be doing something right. If Satan is fooling with the church, we must be doing something right because we're calling lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan does not want to see that happen. So Satan does indeed still surround the church. And believe me, it is his game plan to infiltrate the church and to water down the ministry to the point that he would love to stop the ministry and close the doors. So that means that we have to hold fast to the name of Jesus Christ. His word is our absolute guide. And we cannot step out of the boundaries of the Lord's word or out from under the complete lordship of Jesus Christ. And every decision we make and every outreach and every class and every sermon and every teaching falls under submission to his leadership and his grace and his blessing. We never step out on our own witness or our own strength or we step into Satan's territory. We always remain under his guidance and blessing. So that's the first thing we learn. We are still surrounded by Satan who wants to destroy us. Here's the second thing we learn. We realize that when we do step out of God's word, when we allow the little compromises and the little admissions of the world to creep in among us, when we get involved with the love of money, when we allow uh, popularity or worldly people to get our attention too much, or when we begin to accept immorality as it's just the way our society is getting, that's the direction our society is going, I guess we just have to accept that. When we have no stand against living together before marriage, when we make no stand against abortion, When we make no stand against families falling apart, then we're allowing little compromises to come into the ministry of the church. When we have no desire to reach out outside of these doors with the bread of life, we're beginning to allow the world to take control in us. We can't just say, you know, well, the church is mostly full and our budget's mostly taken care of and and everything's going well, so we don't need to go outside these doors. When we we begin to adapt to that kind of mindset, we're stepping outside of the perfect will of a Savior who wants us to go for Him. Yes, we worship Him. Yes, we serve Him. Yes, we teach our children. Yes, we preach the gospel here. Yes, we invite the, the lost to Christ here. But we take those messages into the world. It's not just sufficient to stay right here, but it's to go into the world. Satan can get a death hold of a ministry that chokes off our voice outside of these doors. In other words, Christians, we can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It is total surrender to him. In essence, that is the letter to the church at Pergamos.